Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. It's so good to see all of you today. My name's Glenn Packham. I get to serve here as the pastor at New Life Downtown. Thank you for spending Easter Sunday morning with all of us here. We're so glad that you came. As we open this morning, I wonder if you'd just play a little imagination game with me for a moment. Uh, what were the moments in your life that began to change everything in a positive way for you? And maybe some of you have to go all the way back and you think about that college acceptance letter or maybe an offer of a scholarship. Maybe it was a job that you landed. Maybe it was you asked someone to marry you and they said yes. Maybe it was the wedding day itself. Maybe it was the birth of a child. And you think through these moments, you're like, man, I'm so glad that happened because that began the, the, the changes in my life. Now, what would it take today if I were to say what would be something that could happen that would begin to change everything in a good way. And you're like, well, that's easy, win the lottery. How about that, let's start there. You know, others of you are like, you know what, that moment that I get my 1,000th like on an image on Instagram, you know, become an Insta influencer, maybe that's it. Maybe when your YouTube channel goes over a million subscribers. I, what is that point where you said, this would change everything for me, that raise, that promotion, what could it be? But then think a little bigger for me, what would it take for something to happen that would change things for society. Maybe change things for the people that you know and love. You say, oh, well, what if they found a cure for cancer? Or what if they figured out how to deal with this sickness or this disease? Or what if they found a way to reverse Alzheimer's or dementia? And you think that would change everything for a lot of people. Okay, but what would it take for something to change everything in a positive way not just for the whole human race that lives and is alive right now, but to reach all the way back through human history and undo all of the wrongs and undo all of the injustices. What would be powerful enough to change everything, not just universally, but historically, retrospectively? What would it take? You say, well, gee, I, mean, I, I don't know. What, what could do that? The followers of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago believed with all their hearts and souls and minds that it was the resurrection of Jesus that changed everything. Changed everything. Not just for them as individuals, like, oh, it gave them little personal meaning. It was their meaning-making truth. It was their truth that they could live by, and they hoped other Romans and Greeks would find their own truth. The followers of Jesus made the radical audacious, astounding claim that a Jewish rabbi killed on an instrument of torture had been resurrected from the dead and they would boldly talk about the scandal of the cross because they believed in the glory of the resurrection. Amen. That's how they began to live. And from those hundred, few hundred followers, the message begins to spread. And they begin to plant little communities, little house churches and other churches. And then it became larger. And then it began to spread. And then Rome became threatened by this group. And so they started to intermittently just flex their muscles of the empire and persecute these Christians. And the Christians said, we're not afraid of death. We worship a savior who has passed through death and has given us life. And so they said, take us to the arenas, take us to the gladiator places. You can torture us, you can kill us. It will not stop the power of the gospel. 
And 2,000 years later, we stand here this morning knowing that millions and millions and millions of people all around the world and for the past 2,000 years have called upon the name of Jesus and have not been afraid to associate themselves with him. We have on our stage a cross, a cruel and unusual, shameful and disgusting instrument of torture. It was unthinkable in the ancient world. If you were going to make up a God, you wouldn't make up a God who went to a cross. And yet, here we are. Not only that, not only standing on the witness in the, in the great company of so many others, but aware that as recently as the last century, thousands of conversions have swept the globe in Africa and in Asia. Dozens of people in the Middle East wake up in the middle of the night with visions of Jesus and at great cost to themselves begin to change their way of living and follow this man, Jesus. And more than that, Think for a moment about the thousands upon thousands of Christians who in Jesus' name have decided to leave their jobs and their prospects and their extended families and get on board steamships and later airplanes and move halfway around the world to care for the sick in Jesus' name to tend to the dying in Jesus' name, to feed the hungry in Jesus' name, to care for orphans and widows, to build schools and hospitals. This is not the impact of Western civilization. This is the legacy of the risen Jesus. And these men and women who have done this are the witness to us today that maybe, just maybe, there actually was an event that changed everything. And I know it's difficult to comprehend that because it is historically unprecedented. And we have no way to measure it or test it, but we're relying on this great company of witnesses who say, it happened. And because it happened, it changed everything. But maybe you've heard this before and you're like, I, I, I know Glenn, I mean, yes, I know the story. It's a very moving story. It's, it's a very nice, compelling narrative. But really, what did it actually change? Look at the world around us. Look at the stuff that's going on. Read the headlines. What actually changed? I understand that. And in many ways, maybe even coming to church on Easter is a little bit like finally, you know, getting tickets to seeing Hamilton or something, you know? You get in, you see it, you see what the fuss is all about, you're like, that was amazing. And then you say, now what's for dinner? Because it's a great show, but so what? And maybe for so many of you, that's what the resurrection story is like. Powerful story, great video, and nice songs, but so what? I want to zoom all the way in at the life of one person, one man who was a follower of Jesus. His name was Peter. And Peter might be in the Gospels the most uh, prominent follower of Jesus, mostly because he's talking all the time. Now, Peter was the kind of guy who would talk until he said something. Wait for it. There it is. And if we were to ask Peter today, okay, Peter, what difference did it make for you that Jesus was raised from the dead. I think Peter would say three things to us. I think if we could hear the voice of this man who followed Jesus, a simple fisherman who became a great leader of the early church, Peter would say, first of all, friends, if you follow Jesus, the risen one, 
you can have true freedom. You can have true freedom. Now we have to stop and talk about this word for a minute because freedom is a word that we use all the time. I mean, it's the name of car dealerships. It's the name of political slogans. It's just a nice word. We like it. It's like America and popcorn and apple pie and freedom, right? <laughs> but that's not the freedom we're talking about. We, we, we kind of think in our day that freedom means autonomy means that I don't have to answer to anybody. I'm not dependent on anybody. I can do whatever I want to do. Thank you very much. But the truth is none of us are fully autonomous. We all function within a system, a complex system of other people and other institutions. If you don't believe me, try to drive north toward Denver on I-25 at rush hour. You're not autonomous. You, have, you are subject to the traffic that is occurring. You're subject to people driving slow in the left lane, dear Lord. <laughs> You're not as free as you thought. And that's just a silly illustration, but there's all kinds of ways to demonstrate that all of us are impacted by other people, other people's choices, other people. No one gets to be fully autonomous. So one of the other myths about freedom in our day is that we're self-authoring. We can shape our own identity and our own destiny. We get to be the writers of our own story. And at first, it sounds like good news until you actually try to live that way. And then the crushing weight of defining your own self begins to produce an angst that is unbearable. And I wonder if the rise of angst and anxiety in our day is not only mental health related, but also maybe connected to the, the lie that we've bought into that we have to determine our own identity and our own destiny. And it's a lie because it sounds like good news. You get to decide who you are and what you're going to be. And you're like, I love it. And then you're like, oh, no, who am I? And what am I going to be? And if I choose this versus this, is that going to ruin my whole life? And the crushing weight of being the author of your own story is not actual freedom, but the worst kind of tyranny. But the freedom that Peter found in Jesus is different than that. John's gospel, after the resurrection, it gives us the scene of Jesus with the disciples. And he says to them, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Let your hearts be at ease. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, even if you're just marginally familiar with the Bible story, you, this might evoke a memory for you. And you might think, wait a minute, is this what happened in Genesis when like God formed humans out of the dust of the earth and breathed into them? Exactly. And what the resurrected Christ is doing is he's taking the disciples back to the story of creation as a powerful way of acting out this lesson and saying to them, a new creation starts now. A new creation starts now. And just as the first man and the first woman were supposed to reflect God's image and go into the world reflecting God's love and wisdom and kindness and peace, Jesus says, so now you get to do that. You get to be the people that put God on display. You see, freedom is not just freedom from, but it's freedom for. 
It's not just freedom from something, but it's freedom for a certain task. And Peter would say to us today, I rediscovered my identity and my purpose and my destiny because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, Peter knew this personally. The very next chapter of John's gospel, Peter's walking on the shores with Jesus. And some of you may know this, but before the crucifixion, Peter denied Jesus three times. And so after the resurrection, he's kind of marginally around and and he goes back fishing because he's like, I'm not sure if my past failures have cost me my future destiny. Some of you are wondering that today. And Peter goes back fishing and Jesus finds him and he begins to restore him. And it says, Jesus asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was sad that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he replied, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus says, well, I've got a job for you. Your mission is back on. Feed my sheep. And then Jesus says, and I assure you that when you were younger, you tied your own belt and walked around wherever you wanted. When you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will tie your belt and lead you where you don't want to go. And Peter's like, what, what? I thought this conversation was going so well. (laughs) Verse 19, and John says, he said this to show the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And after this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Freedom is not just freedom from, it's freedom for. And listen, even on a human level, we understand this. There's all kinds of things where if you want a certain goal, you're going to have to say no to certain things that would be free for you to do. You're not free to do. One of the great misconceptions about Christianity is that it is always a constraining religion that's so fussy and maybe actually that's the version of it that you were introduced to that it was all about a whole bunch of arbitrary rules but I'm here to tell you this morning that at the heart of Christianity is a God who wants to free you so you can become who he made you to be it's a God who is freeing you so you can arrive at the destiny that he intends for you which is to follow him You were made to follow Jesus. You were made to love Jesus. You were made to become like the Son of God. And any time you want to pursue a a certain goal, you have to say no to certain things. This morning in the 9 o'clock service we had, in our service, one of our New New Life downtowners, Ben Payne, he just ran the Boston Marathon. He finished 25th overall, and he ran it, yeah, he ran it in 2 hours and 18 minutes. It's crazy. And, and, Ben's not here, but you can clap for him anyway. He was here in the 9 o'clock. And more than that, he just qualified for the Olympic trials. It's fantastic. But Ben didn't reach that goal because he said, I'm free. You cannot tell me that I have to get up at 5 a.m. and train. Ben got there because he said, I'm following this goal. And so I have freedom for me is redefined. And that's how it is for Christians. You want to become like Jesus. You want to be fully and truly human. You're going, to redef- you're going to have to redefine what freedom actually is. It's not just freedom from. It's freedom for a purpose. But then as Peter's life goes on, Peter discovers that his past failures haven't disqualified him. He's got, his life has been restored. He's got a, a true kind of freedom. But then Peter would say to us, look, if you follow Jesus, you can have a new family. Some of you don't look now, but you're like, oh, I like that. (laughs) I'm listening, preacher man. I'm not talking about trading in your existing family. I'm talking about beginning to see the definition of family a little differently. Beginning to see the definition of family in a broader way. 
Peter very likely grew up around this small fishing village. That was the world he knew. And what he knew was that God's people was this, with the Jewish people and the Gentiles were evil. And he didn't, he didn't think that God had salvation for the Gentiles. But if you follow Peter's story in a book in the New Testament called the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10 tells the story of Peter being given this vision of food, which some of you are starting to have right now. And Peter begins to see food that, that, that by a Jewish definition would have been unclean. And, and he hears this voice say, rise and eat. And he's like, I will not eat unclean things. And God says, don't call unclean what I have made clean. And he begins to understand, this isn't really about bacon, is it? And he catches on. He's slow, but he's worth waiting for. And he catches on. And he discovers that what God is saying is that this message is for all people. And so Peter goes to this man named Cornelius' house. And in verse 34 of Acts 10, Peter says, I am really learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. This is the message of peace he sent to the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. And then Peter goes on and starts preaching about Jesus, walking and doing good and healing the sick. And he's taking his time with the sermon. And it's like the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit can't wait for Peter to finish his sermon. And Peter's still winding down his sermon. And the Holy Spirit just falls on these Gentile people who are in Cornelius' house. And they start like speaking in another language. They start show, showing signs that God has poured out his grace on them. And Peter's like, well, I guess it's all over now. Says we might as well baptize them. And things go out of order because God's trying to send a message to Peter. You can have a new family. Listen, we live in a world today that is more divided maybe than, than some of us can remember. Maybe that's not totally true if you grew up in the South or different eras and you think, well, I remember a much more divided America. That's also true. But in every era, it is time for the church to stand up and to say, let's show the world what a new kind of community looks like. A new kind of community, a community that doesn't define itself by, oh, we're all in the same school district. Oh, we shop at the same stores. Oh, we're running into each other at the same supermarkets and all that. All of that's cute and nice. But the way that Jesus defines community is all who are in Christ are one family together. It doesn't matter what country. It doesn't matter what culture. It doesn't matter what language. It doesn't matter what class. It doesn't matter what gender. You are now one new people together. And when the early Christians began to recognize this, it was pretty radical. You think our world is divided and, and segmented. Actually, the world in the first century in the Roman Empire was highly stratified, highly broken up. You, 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 ha you couldn't really even put men and women together at social functions in the same room at the same table, let alone different ethnicities and classes and languages. There was always the sense of which family are you from? Oh, well, I'm from this family. I'm from the Julians. Well, I'm from the such and such and the, the Claudians. And even when, when Rome would, when, when people were vying for spots in the Senate, it all, all that mattered was what your lineage and your family was. And in walk the Christians. The Christians who say, there is no slave or free. There is no Greek nor Jew. There's no male or female. None of these divisions and barriers can last because the resurrection of Jesus cuts through it and creates a new family, a new kind of family. Next week, we're going to have water baptism during this 11 a.m. service. The class will be in the 9 a.m. 
water baptism at 11. It's not too late to sign up for that. You ever think about why we do this in front of the whole church? I mean, could we just have a private ceremony, you know, like ask a pastor to make a house call or whatever and use your hot tub or your bathtub? It'd be kind of weird, but we could do it, you know? Why do we have to do this in front of the whole church? I mean, what an odd ritual. We're going to watch people go in water and come out. You're like, it's kind of strange. Baptism is a picture, among many things, of a new birth. Like this sort of birth process. And just like many of the, the, the moments that you've marked as you celebrated the arrival of a baby, a lot of times the guess is you, you have friends or family members who are in the waiting room who are waiting and you come out and you say, oh, here it is. That's like what we're saying. We're saying, look, this person who's coming out of the waters of baptism, this is your brother, this is your sister, this is your son, this is your daughter, this is your uncle, this is your auntie, this is your family. And so on Baptism Sunday, they come out of the waters and we say before the church, it's a girl. <laughs> this is your family. This is who you're connected to. And so maybe you've never taken that step next Sunday is a moment for you to experience the beauty of a new family. Finally, if Peter were here this morning, he would say, you can have a good future. You can have a good future. Now, when you think about the way our society thinks or orients toward the future, there's several different ways we could describe this. Maybe one approach, and you probably know this person, is the optimist. The person who just thinks, Life is going to work out. It's all fine. It'll be okay, sweetie. And you're wanting to scream at them, you don't know that. They are the person that Lego Movie 1 is their theme song. It's their soundtrack. Everything is awesome. Which is so brilliant that Lego Movie 2 critiques its own theme song. by saying everything is not awesome. That's an unrealistic expectation anyway. Just, if you haven't seen it. I think it's really for the parents. Anyway, I mean, there's even like Radiohead jokes in there. My kids have no clue who Radiohead is, you know? Anyway, there's, there's meta critiques going on. But the optimist, the optimist just thinks everything is awesome. The, the pessimist, although you would describe yourself as a realist, your math, <laughs> you, you, you don't think anything's going to work out. You're like, no, this is awful. Life is terrible. Your mascot is Eeyore. <laughs> good morning. Is it a good morning? I suppose. And then maybe option three is the cynic. Optimism, pessimism, cynicism. And the cynic says, I've been there. I've seen it all. I used to be one of those youngsters. Ah, go fund this. <laughs> but there are religious versions of this. There are religious versions of this. There's a version even of Christianity that says, believe in Jesus and nothing bad will ever happen to you. Listen, the only place in scripture where it says nothing bad will ever happen to you is by a false prophet in the book of Jeremiah. I mean, I, I, I don't know when the last time was that you read the book of Jeremiah, but there literally is a false prophet that says nothing bad will ever happen to you. And Jeremiah says, mm, not so fast. But there are religious versions of that. If God is my co-pilot, nothing bad. That, that's not what we're offering here. What we're offering is much better than that. 
The other religious version is kind of the, the neo-mystical sort of Western Buddhism, which is so different than Eastern Buddhism, you can barely call it the same thing, but in America it's Buddhism. The idea that life is suffering and so our only pathway through it is to detach from it, is to say, well, life is hard, so love, but don't really give over, don't become too attached. And so we think that nirvana or peace, it, we, we can achieve some sort of peace through detach, detaching from the world. But the Christian message is not peace through detachment. It's not, it doesn't say to us, yeah, just, just, you know, just kind of make it through and don't worry about it. The Christian message says love with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Give yourself to it. And when you love, there will be a cross. But after the cross comes resurrection. The Christian message is stronger than that. And so Peter, as an older follower of Jesus, writes to one of the churches. He writes in this letter, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Somebody say living hope. Living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, for the Christian, hope is not an empty wish. Hope is not a longing of our heart. We use the word hope very loosely. I hope the weather is nice tomorrow. For the Christian, when we speak of hope, it's not a wish. It's not a longing. It's not a generally positive outlook on life. Hope is a sure and certain future that is being kept and guarded for us. Why? Because God raised Jesus from the dead. And it frees us to be honest about even the worst thing, quote unquote, from a human perspective, which is death. Have you ever noticed that old churches always had graveyards attached to it? Oftentimes, you have to walk through the cemetery in order to come in the front doors. I mean, that's not very seeker friendly. <laughs> you know, this morning when we dismiss, you'll go out in the lobby, we've got coffee and donuts for you. These people, these Christians for 2,000 years said, let's just, let's just bury them right here. <laughs> what? Why? Because when you enter the sanctuary, you see a cross that reminds us that we follow a Savior who has trampled down death by death and who has overcome the grave by his life. And so put the graves right there. We want to remember grandma so-and-so anyway. We want to make sure we remember the names of grandpa and grandma and their great uncles. Let's put them all there. Because as we walk through, we know one day we're all going to rise from the dead. One day. You see, Christian hope is not, oh, when we die, we'll go to heaven and there'll be harps in a cloud. Who wants that? What Peter's talking about. What all the early followers of Jesus talked about for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, what has sustained Christians was not the hope of a disembodied heaven. What sustained them was a hope of bodily resurrection and a new heaven and a new earth. 
That's why the closing words of the Christian confession written in the 300s says, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Or as one preacher said, as he's getting older, people ask him, how you doing, your body, all the ailments and all the stuff. He goes, well, I got no problems that a good resurrection can't fix. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Look, we're not living in denial. We know these bodies will break down. We know stuff is going to stop working. We get it. But Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And one day we will rise too. One day we will rise too. The great British missionary to India in the late 1800s, early 1900s, named Leslie Newbigin, said, I am neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. I think that's how we should answer people. Uh, be, be honest. Yeah, this is, this is not working. This is tough. This is, but you know what? Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Yes, I, I, there are, I'm struggling over here. This is not working. This is not. Yes, yes, yes. And Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We are Easter people carrying around resurrection, life, and power inside us, even as we live in bodies of death. That's what Paul says in Romans. Even as we live in bodies of death, we carry around resurrection power. That's something else. Peter would say to us today, listen, friends, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Follow the risen Jesus, and you will find true freedom a new family, and a good future. See, the resurrection doesn't automatically change everything. It doesn't automatically, it doesn't transform. But for all who give their life to follow the risen Jesus, you get new creation now. You get to begin to taste this now. You get to begin to say, yes, I'm finding true freedom. It's going to take a journey. It took Peter a lot of years. That's a lot of years I just covered in Peter's story. You're going to find a new family. It's going to take you time to understand the power of reconciliation. And you're going to have a good future. A friend said to me this morning on the way into the 9 a.m., he said, Glenn, Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. He says, we're two-thirds there. We got two out of three. It's like the seventh inning stretch. It's going to happen. We have a good future. Maybe you're here this morning and you've... Um, You've never heard Easter this way. You've always sort of thought this is a great story. This is nice. It's very, very, very cute. Very meaningful for some people. But you've never understood it as true and actual freedom. Maybe you're thinking about the things that you've done. Maybe you're thinking about the life that you've lived. And you're thinking, could I actually be free from that? Yes, you can. Maybe you're thinking about the life of severed relationships that you've experienced. So I, can I really have a place where I belong in a new kind of family? Yes, you can. Or maybe you're living with bad news and you understand a bad doctor's report or a difficult uh, struggle that you're experiencing and you need a good and certain future. Not an empty promise that everything's going to be all right. Or tomorrow, tomorrow the sun will come out. You need something more than that. The resurrection can change the way that you've experienced hope today. So with our heads bowed and as our eyes closed as the worship team comes this morning, I want to invite you to do something with this. 
I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm not going to call you forward. But I want you to take a step. And I'm going to offer you two options for this step. The first is, when we're finished with the service today, to come find our prayer team. They're going to be lined up along the front. And just say to them, I need you to pray with me. And maybe you already are a follower of Jesus. But you need resurrection hope in a new kind of way. You need the resurrection to change, to keep doing its work of change in your life. Find one of our prayer teams. Let them pray with you this morning. Or maybe you're, you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you used to be. Maybe you've been around it. Maybe you're familiar with it. The resurrection doesn't automatically change everything. But if you begin to follow the risen Jesus, it will. It will work in you to change you. Maybe this morning it just needs to be a conversation with someone up front to say, pray with me. I have a lot of unbelief, but I want to take a baby step of belief this morning and follow that up on Tuesday by coming to Alpha. We've got a table set for you. We've got a meal ready. We'll, we'll spend eight Tuesdays in a row just exploring all of your questions, your objections, your, 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 your um, um, curiosities about faith in Jesus but don't walk out of here. The one thing I don't want you to do, I, I plead with you this morning, don't be stirred and then just walk out. I promise we'll keep the donuts for you. Do something. Take a step. Find someone up front and or show up on Tuesday night at Alpha. It's just a block and a half away. And say, you know what? If the resurrection of Jesus Christ has inspired the lives of millions and millions and millions of people around the world for 2,000 years in all kinds of countries and cultures and contexts. Can you really dismiss it? Do you really want to just say, eh, that's dumb. That can't be true. Isn't it worth asking the question how the resurrection could change everything for you? Isn't it worth just taking one more step today? Thank you for joining us today at New Life Downtown. You can return to our website at newlifechurch.org downtown to find out more about the church and how you can get connected. You can email us with any questions that you have. We look forward to getting to know you a little bit better. Feel free to follow us on social media as well. We're ready to welcome you into the family of God at New Life Downtown.